0: Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this week, we're talking about reinterpretation. When characters survive through many eras of reincarnation and sort of change with the times, and how that's very interesting when they change with every iteration of game or movie or book or, or sort of whatever we're talking about. Now, I know we're talking about this because you have been playing Telltale's Batman.
1: Yeah, and it sort of got in my head because it actually sort of set makes an entire game about the death of Bruce Wayne's parents, which sounds pretty unappetizing, right? Like, that is an event that has been analyzed from every conceivable angle. Like, we basically we know all about what happened to Bruce's parents, and I was sort of questioning whether it was something that would be fruitful to revisit narratively. But Telltale Batman actually... Um, take some pretty bold directions with retelling that story. Uh, unless there's some pretty major plot twists uh, coming in the late stages of the game. Uh, I am almost done, but I haven't quite finished it. Unless there's some major like plot twists that have yet to happen, um, it really recasts, at least in this universe, um, the goodness and innocence of Thomas and Martha Wayne, particularly Thomas. Hmm. And that's something that largely hasn't wavered across a lot of um, versions of Batman over the years, like Thomas Wayne and like the, Bruce's parents are always sort of like these saintly uh, patricians, right? The, mm-hmm. and, and their death is just an unmitigated tragedy uh, that the city to a degree never gets over. And Bruce never gets over. <laughs> Telltale Batman kind of starts uh, from the perspective of, and, and actually sort of Alfred enunciates it at a certain point. He says, you know, your parents were billionaires you don't make that kind of money without doing a few morally questionable things. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of where it sort of t- you know takes a, as its point of d- departure. Like Wayne Enterprises is not a company that could be built on a purely innocent foundation, right? Like yeah. the dude has just too much money and influence for that family to be squeaky clean, and so right away it's it's sort of. Calling into question some some core elements of the the Batman mythos, as it were, but it also got me thinking about how this is a character that has been interpreted and reinterpreted, and what I kind of enjoy about it is that Batman and a lot of a lot of comic characters, but especially, especially Batman, uh, is is open to this kind of reinterpretation. Where you can bring out these characters again and again and again, but you can illuminate something different with them each time, depending on how you tell, depending on the way you tell the story. Right? It's sort of the way, like in Greek tragedy. Um, <laughs> pretty much all of them are taking uh, the characters from from Homer, right? Like, yes, a lot of them are setting the action against the most well-established myth of uh, mythical story of, of ancient Greece, but. They're all kind of exploring different characters and bit players and events that are sort of known to have happened but weren't really delved into. That's kind of what, like, a lot of interpretations of, of Batman are doing, right? Like, so Telltale Batman is very much at odds with the Christopher Nolan interpretation where, like, Bruce Wayne doesn't exist, right? That's, that's, the, that's the Nolan version of the story. You know, Batman is real and Bruce Wayne is, is the secret, is the false identity. Um, telltale batman is is actually much more of a bruce wayne story really uh, batman is very secondary uh, it's much more interested in bruce wayne is you know he is the real person he is trying to live his own life um, and it's not all driven by his needs as batman so i just i find it kind of interesting to see this starting to pop up in in games a little more but mostly it just got me thinking about how cool it is that you can revisit these settings and characters again and again. And because they're familiar, there's a lot you don't have to explain to the audience. You know what I mean? The, the audience can expect a lot, but that sort of frees you to do character examinations on other things.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's really kind of exciting and wonderful. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not as sort of, I guess, bothered by generally not... As interesting to me sort of superhero movies uh, because if they're based on a character that I actually really like and find interesting or find really fun or, or just enjoy that world I'm able to completely enjoy it without being like eh, okay it's another it's another movie about a guy with big muscles blowing shit up and being all righteous I mean I guess I feel that way about Captain America but you know take something like Thor for example um, I'm I I like the Thor movies better than any other Marvel movies like Punisher right Jessica with you, Jones Yeah Jessica Jones is my favorite by far and way because that's we've already talked about that that's like an awesome noir thing with a really cool interesting character and 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 Luke Cage is really rad and and all that so yeah that's that's at the top but like for the movies it's Thor all the way because it's not only a really weird and and kind of funky sci-fi interpretation of ancient myth, like ancient Norse myth, which I'm already interested in. I I already, you know, we've talked on this podcast a little bit about my interest in just generally in mythology and in ancient stories and in the way that people, ancient peoples have interpreted the world. And I, I'm never going to not find that interesting. I mean, I obviously find the way that modern people interpret the world very interesting. It's kind of all storytelling, right? That's, if you want to get to the very, very base Of what we do, it's because, uh, you know, I think, at least for me, because storytelling is is itself fascinating and a fascinating sort of artifact of the way our brains have organized. So, to get back to Thor, I really like those movies. They're funny and they're weird, and they're basically romantic comedies with a massive budget and a bunch of weird costumes and special effects and other kind of funny things going on. But those movies are allowed to be so weird. Like, I don't know, I, I feel like the first Thor was almost. Not experimental, but so much more you know, niche than any other one of those Avengers movies was ever going to be. Because it's based on this, this weird guy from ancient mythology, right? Like this weird guy and his weird dad and his weird brother. And Natalie Portman is a, is a dorky scientist. Like it's, it's great and, and bizarre in so many ways. And it's allowed to be great and bizarre because it has this character that everybody kind of knows a little bit about. And kind of has an image in their head of.
1: Oh, I, I utterly love uh, that, that first Thor movie. Uh, especially yeah. because it's also so perfect that like you had Brana uh, directing it because yes. he's so he's totally used to working in that like Shakespearean diction, right? Like yeah. all the emotions and feelings are turned up to 10 um, people like, don't just talk. They declaim. And that is what people of Asgard do. And the gag is Asgard is, like Asgard is real. And then they come to earth and they're still they're still guys. They're still playing out these like you know these these high dramas and tragedies <laughs> against a backdrop of like um, you know r- like rural middle America.
0: Yeah, <laughs> with the diner and the, yeah, it's it's great. It's the great fish out of water story. Well,
1: and the entire like Thor, you know, like the entire Thor comic is kind of a dusting off of an old setting and story and yeah. transplanting it to. Almost like a different merging it with a different pantheon right So that pan, the pantheon it was merged with in that case was the Marvel you know superheroes yeah but they pretty much take all the, the as much of the Norse myth as, as they can steal uh, and and use it for the foundation for the Thor comics and it works really really well like uh, the Thor comics are among my very favorites. Um, the kid Loki series was 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 tremendous that uh, that Karen Gillen. Uh did yeah. it's just it's it's utterly heartbreaking and um thor goddess of thunder uh w- was really cool yeah. um a bit <laughs> there were a couple there's, there's one issue that is just 100 percent like feminist fan service like literally <laughs> have, you, have you seen this issue it's like
0: i think so where she's just like punching the guy and it's like she says something about the patriarchy or yeah something. and like don't it say feminist does. that way
1: but the best part is yeah. when the female supervillain is like I'm going to come quietly because I respect what you're doing. And they basically like (laughs) fist bump and go like girl power. And that's, that's just an issue. Like there's nothing to do with anything. It's just like pure fan service. It's amazing.
0: That's kind of great. Let's watch girls get together and be cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's kind of great. I, I'm, I'm also thinking more of how I can apply this to games, you know, of course. Um, and I know we were talking a little bit about Lara Croft at the beginning when we were thinking about what to talk about here. And I think that one is also super valid. I mean, the character herself has definitely evolved over the years. You know, she was just sort of like Ms. Badass in the original games, which was great. I mean, it was, she was Ms. Badass with the, you know, giant pokey, pulling well, boots. Well, fir- <laughs> in the first game, she's
1: basically nothing, right? She's basically a yeah. character model. She's an And avatar. that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Totally. And then they start digging into the story a little bit, and then there were those movies with Angelina Jolie. Remember those? My God, yeah. those were a thing. And then, and then, and then, of course, uh, we get into the modern era, and Rise of the Tomb Raider kind of really makes good on the. You know what? Let's reinvent. Let's really reinvent a character. Let's really go to her roots and show her struggles and X, Y, and Z. And I and I loved that. And this most recent game that I don't I didn't think the story was fantastic, uh, but. The characterization of Lara Croft, like showing how tough she is, showing how, you know, how much resolve she has, showing her loyalty to her friends. she It's kind of shown in the gameplay. It's kind of shown in, you know, the things that you do, the sort of implicit story of it uh, actually sort of shows like, oh, she's, she is a good character. She's tough and smart. And there's even a mechanic that's like, she's learning languages because she's being exposed. I, mean, I know it's cheesy and reductive, but it's cool that it's made a part of a system. Like it's actually made mechanical in the gameplay she's figuring things out and she's attentive and she's you know a, a brilliant um uh ling- linguistics there's a brilliant ton. linguist
1: yeah
0: a brilliant linguist yes she's a brilliant linguist who is who is figuring things out by being in different parts of the world and studying and sort of investing in in all these sort of different systems are making her better and making her a, a more interesting character there's also something and this is a really really minor touch and a really really small thing but it i i found it really really cool and really interesting that the animation in the most recent game is so good and so awesome and and so good at sort of showing what she's going through at the time where there's this tiny little moment when you get out of the water anytime you're sort of swimming and she you know very businesslike, but she's sort of she, she sort of rings her hair out the way you know anybody with long hair does and it's like this little moment of like connection with this character who's this super badass who can shoot all these guys and beat up all these guys and climb everywhere and she's like but she's still got her ponytail wet she's still got to wring it out and it's it's little things like that 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 attention to care that show like oh we we want to make a super badass but she's also a human being <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of great i think
1: I like that as you revisit some of these like long standing characters, you can start to play with things that maybe have just been hinted at uh, in the past right so yeah. uh again, something I noticed with uh, Telltale Batman is that a lot of the game revolves around his relationship with uh with Harvey Dent hmm. and a lot of so a lot of times like Harvey Dent is sort of presented as just. A tragic figure right he 's the one bad day character who is irrevocably lost um, and one thing I find kind of interesting is that with this interpretation of the character, there are little hints that maybe you know good Harvey dent wasn 't quite as good as he 's sort of made out to be, yeah, and i kind of I kind of dig that too like. I think one of the interesting interesting things I find in Telltale Batman is that the destiny of every character is known to the audience, right? Like, you meet the Joker at one point, but he's not the Joker yet. But, like, everyone but Bruce Wayne, like, everyone playing it, everyone knows who this character is going to be. Yeah. And the dramatic irony and the tension comes from the fact that Bruce Wayne is naive about what this character yeah. represents. But what that kind of allows Telltale Batman to do is sort of start questioning whether or not any of these care, like sort of questioning whether or not these characters really do ha- make the choices that they seem to, or, or are, or maybe are shaped by events uh, the way they're often sort of believed to be like, is Harvey Dent really turned into two face because of like whatever accident befalls him or, was Harvey Dent always kind of a secretly dark dual personality, uh, and it just hadn't—you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that that, per, that character, that villain, was always lurking there. And
0: yeah. the seeds were there previously. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and so that's, that's one of the things I, I find I find kind of interesting with with revisiting settings like this um, and and using these characters, these these almost like stock characters at this point. Like, like Batman for me, Batman is basically the American version of the Robin Hood myth, you know, it's the, the the rich boy protects the, 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 you know, the the rich man protects the, uh, protects the common folk, uh, from the predations of the criminal classes, uh, by using his money and his technology. Like it's the the most American (laughs) thing, uh, possible. Um, but it allows for all these characters to sort of appear on the scene and again and again, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Robin Hood has Friar Tuck, um, you know. Batman will always have an Alfred. Will most always have a Lucius Fox at his side. Yeah. He will always uh, sort of long for Selina Kyle from afar, uh, and, and it's just kind of how you move these pieces around and all their you know infinite ways of combining. Uh, where where it gets where it gets pretty interesting. But there's not a lot of settings you can do that with. Like Batman's kind of unusual in that regard. Um, comics, I think, are are generally kind of good at that for. Simply because they've been around for like you know fifty, sixty years, uh, a lot of these characters, games I'm not sure have a ton of of options like that. Like Lara Croft has, like, l- does Lara Croft have characters around her for the most part that like pop up more than once or twice in, in the entire series?
0: They do in this new iteration, like since Rise, uh, I think, or sorry, since um, what was the the one from 2013? I don't want to get it wrong. Or, Wasn't that uh, Rise? was that rise? And this one is something. Okay. The new games <laughs> of which there have been two, uh, they do have a couple of characters who, who kind of show up. She has like this sort of buddy character and he's, he's pretty cool. And there's, there's always this sort of, uh, in, in the newest one, there's a bunch of family members who, you know, there is sort of hinted at in the older games. So like, there, there's a little bit of that, but it's definitely not like an ensemble cast by any, you know, by any stretch of the imagination or anything like that. Um, God, I'm trying to think. There's not a ton of franchises that really lend themselves to this by nature of, you know, I'm thinking about something like the Legend of Zelda, which has been around for 30 years now, and Link gets kind of reinterpreted a little bit. Like Wind Waker, Link is definitely different from, you know, Ocarina of Time, Link. They're also thin. Yeah, but they're
1: they're, but they're all kind of silent.
0: You know, it's which is which is fine, but it's not like there's a ton of of, and then they're not silent. Uh, and also sort of giving a lot of story detail through their animation or anything. The the story of Zelda games are the adventures that you have with this, you know, with Link, and he's named that because he's the Link to you, he's an avatar. You know, the whole dealio with that. There's gotta be... I I feel like maybe (laughs) it's really silly, but something like the Mario games almost like have grown into an ensemble over the years. Uh, And the Mario RPG series, kind of... Those are the most, obviously, story-heavy games, but they go into, like... The history of who's mad at who and who did what, and it's it's honestly comical, but it's it's kind of great sometimes the way they've done it. Um the writing in those games is actually really strong. I don't know if you've played many of of those games. Okay. Uh, but those are actually like a really good example of this. Like the character being reinterpreted as this sort of, you know, Luigi's always on the sidelines, and Mario's always the hero of the of the story, and Toad has his little personality, and Princess has her own personality, and there's a whole there's a whole world around those characters that's actually kind of rich and interesting in a way, even though it's, you know, not rich and interesting the way something like a Batman, or, or Batman can be. I'm not saying Batman is by default rich and interesting, because that, that would be false. <laughs> that would be just a false statement. It does seem like something like the God of War reimagining is a little bit of this, you know. It, it's mm. dad of war now you know they're, they're yeah. doing we've only seen uh you know a, a trailer at this point for the new god of war but uh the old god of war games or the, the previous generation of god of war games they were all about this completely crazed asshole and they were story-based but it was it's just only about revenge and this seems like oh no we're gonna make him a dad he's gonna teach his son to hunt like it's gonna <laughs> you know we're this is the softer side of uh what's his name
1: Oh, Marcus? No, sorry, not Mar- uh, no, uh, Kratos.
0: Kratos. This is the softer side of Kratos. This is Dad Kratos. He's got a beard. You know, he's gonna. <laughs> uh, and it, and it sounds silly, but I'm I'm glad there is at least this desire for reinterpretation of of a kind of boring character into, you know, it might still be boring, but they're trying something. Yeah, with this they're trying well, something telling new. That
1: often the make it more interesting and 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 deep involves and hey, give him a kid.
0: Yeah, have a kid.
1: Yeah. That's something <laughs> real. That's something that. real people do. Yeah. See, they're exactly. not just a killing machine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's not the most complicated thing, but hey, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. In the I think
1: game. you see a lot more of this with with film, right? Yeah. And like the way franchises uh, keep getting endlessly rebooted, uh, depending on what it's believed the the audience needs at, at, at that given moment, right? So. Um, you know, the trailer for the new Spider-Man just came out not that long ago, and uh, yes. it's going like all in on it's a high school movie with superpowers sure. from what yeah. I can tell.
0: Which is kind of cool.
1: Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 100% on board for that. Um that's 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 super that's a super cool um way of approaching it. Seems like it could like it, it it's like all the fun that sort of the Toby Maguire movies promised but maybe will actually yeah. deliver.
0: Yeah. I did not like any of those movies. I'm not going to lie. Uh it's
1: Okay. The new ones, or the old ones, or any of them?
0: Kind of any of them. I've never been a Spider-Man fan, but I'm willing. I am my mind is open, you know, to to enjoy Spider-Man. I think the high school thing might actually help even though I typically do not like high school. Um, you know, high school fiction I hated high school so I don't like going back to it but if it's done well if it's actually like thoughtful and and kind of funny like I could I could get with that I could hang out with that I could see that I'm gonna give it a shot and see this is the beauty of this right even if I didn't like a character previously I know that it's going probably going to be reimagined reinterpreted redone in in some way and and hopefully and sometimes those things are incredibly interesting I mean and if you don't like we it, you can always
1: dis- – the, the cool thing about exploring characters and universes this way is it actually makes them more explorable. It makes them more interesting because yeah. you don't have to keep any of it. You know what I mean? Like if it doesn't work out, you can just shit can that entire story, you know, and it, it's totally. like it never happened. Uh, you, you sort of pick and choose what is reality. Like at this point, I've seen like a dozen different origin stories of the Joker. Like <laughs> I have seen like – five different versions of what the star the federation and star Cra- Star Trek really yes, represents. Yes. <laughs> and all of them are different and all of them are valid to varying degrees. And I sort of pick and choose what to take from each one. And that's kind of cool. Like yeah. I mean there's I mean Star Trek's a perfect example. Like there's episodes where like Ronald D. Moore is like, no man, there's gotta be a fascist un- underbelly somewhere to the Federation. <laughs> and so he puts it in and it's like controversial. There's people who are like that's not, you know, that wasn't uh Roddenberry's vision. But you know, Ronald D. Moore is like, no, man, America's an empire and the Federation is basically our, our best, our projection yep. of ourselves into the future. So what do you think that really looks like? Huh? Huh? And Deep
0: Space Nine, secretly yeah. the best show. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yep. I mean, I love, I love Next Generation. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great episodes. It
1: sure did set Generation. up Deep Space Nine.
0: It sure did. Hats off. And DS9 is kind of the best thing. Just saying. Just I'm just putting that out there, but yeah, you're you're totally right. And I actually just recently watched uh, Star Trek Beyond again, which is a movie I really enjoy. I think it has some flaws, but I still really is that enjoy. That the newest it. one? Yes, the newest. I one. I did and,
1: like that. Yeah, let's talk I, about this a little bit.
0: Okay, let's definitely because we talk didn't
1: about it a like bit. Into Darkness.
0: No, I. I- it's not even that I dislike Into Darkness. I just didn't think it was very good. I definitely like enjoyed it as a fan. I enjoyed it as somebody who likes Star Trek when it gets visually weird because that one had some amazing weird visuals like that opening planet with the red sort of yeah. rose petal aesthetic. Like it, it, it got weird and it got dark. It just didn't make any goddamn sense. Like outside of, if you weren't already a Star Trek fan, if you didn't already know the Khan mythology, it literally makes no sense whatsoever. So it's like, uh, you know, maybe the writing wasn't the best. Um but this current current, sorry, the the most recent one I really loved because it felt like a really, you know, hyper awesome, you know, big budget version of a really good episode where the crew is kind of splintered off into different sort of little storylines are happening and you care about all of them. You know, Bones and Spock are off you know, Spock gets injured badly and they're off on this planet. Uh, well, I guess I should preface this with, you know, the enterprise actually goes down. It actually crash lands on this planet. And, you know, everybody kind of goes off and has their own little adventure, getting things together and, and, and all that. And, you know, Scotty has this adventure with the, uh, God, I forgot her name because he calls her Lassie all the time. And I was like, that's sexist. Why are you calling her Lassie and not by her damn name? And now I've forgotten her name. And this is very sad and I will look up her name. Uh, But she's awesome. She's this, uh, you know, a person who had sort of escaped the villain's camp. And and she's this badass kind of engineer who has survived on her own all these years. And of course, and Sulu and Uhura are off sort of at this bad guy's camp and, and they're kind of surviving and being tough and being awesome. And it just felt like, wow, this is like a really great episode of the show that shows, you know, the, the positivity of Star Trek of like, we can all work together. People from different backgrounds, we can all work together. We can make it work. We can make things better. No matter how shitty everything is, if we put aside our differences and make it work, we're going to make it work, man. It's, very, it's a very Obama-esque
1: yeah. uh, so <laughs> feeling
0: about the world.
1: I have yeah. very different feel Okay, so here's, here's, here's what I actually liked about them because we, we okay. actually take very different things away from it, which I find interesting. Sure. Um, I actually love the way – like, I love that the, – the opening reel of the movie, really, uh, which is all just about life on the starship and yeah. how it is kind of this world unto itself that the captain is kind of never really a part of uh, to an yes. extent. I kind of love the um, – it's very much a nod toward Wrath of Khan, right? The sort of yes. impending yes. midlife crisis – uh, facing Captain Kirk you know like is this all there is um, I'm not really one of them but at the same time like they're all I have and they're all I really yeah. want but I don't know if I don't know if I'm comfortable with that uh, it's sort of the wrestling of that the tension between wanting a normal life and also wanting to be master of your own destiny during you know an extraordinary life uh, I, I kind of love the way that opening of the movie uh, brings that out, um, and and as it does so, actually also does a good job of fleshing out a lot of the characters who've been sort of incidental uh, over the yes. years or who haven't gotten their really gotten their moment. Um, my complaint about the movie, and I had this like I a, like I noticed it um, when I saw it on on a plane uh, a couple months <laughs> ago, but it occurs to me how many movies. Have villains with really murky, hand-wavy revenge motives. Yes. Like Idris Elba deserved a better he's fucking wasted. villain than he's that wasted character
0: in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: All he did was basically get like shipwrecked and forgotten, mm-hmm. and he's really, really angry, and he's for pissed. no good reason, he's going to kill everyone because of that anger.
0: We should, we should say. Oh, by the way, spoilers. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> Uh yeah, Um I'll put them in the show notes. We'll be fine. Yeah,
1: sure. It'll be, it'll be great. Uh, anyway, the point is though, he's just got this like unfocused revenge motive that like doesn't isn't yeah. really ever justified. He's just he's just pissed, and it like it occurred to me like in all these super super villain movies, and Star Trek is right in line. It basically is a comic book movie at this point. Yeah people have no like the villains have no motives they have no ideology that that animates them and so like increasingly like the interpretations of of what is evil that are cult like of, of the interpretations of evil representations of of evil in, in our pop culture keep getting simpler and simpler and more unrealistic if oh, if that yes. makes any sense like if you have villains without a motive if you have evil plots that are just pure purely nihilistic with with no actual like um with with no actual gain, material gain or goal uh, at the end. Um you're basically making a story that is trying to appear like moral and virtuous but is secretly terrified of any kind of morality whatsoever. And that's I guess what kind of bugged me there is like the movie was doing so well. It was doing so well with like sort of humanizing the people on that ship and what they were about and what animated them and sort of like getting into, like you said, sort of the teamwork and the 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 need for a team to overcome the fractures within it and the fact that like whatever your differences, if you you know, if you're still if you still recognize that you're part of the same collective uh, the same collective. Uh, you find a way to make it work. You know what I mean? Like, you may not get along, you may not be best friends, but at the end of the day, you know, you're shipmates and you stand by each other.
0: That's right.
1: And then the end We're of the not
0: even f- shipmates, like, like other people from yeah. other, you know, from different walks of life. They might not be Starfleet, but they can be part of the team too because everybody's got something to Starfleet offer. Starfleet is a state Very of mind, positive.
1: Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then at the <laughs> end, it's like, okay, so what's, what's this person want to do? Uh, just kill everything for the sake of... He's angry. He's
0: mad. He's mad. Yeah, He's
1: and that's and that's okay if you're like literally Loki in the Thor movies, where like right. you're just like the entire world is the stage for your for your psychodrama. Yeah, but every movie is this way.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's not awesome, and it I mean, it really sucks because it feels like. This movie would have been great without a villain at
1: all. Yes. It could
0: have just been, hey, you know what? Something got fucked up and we crash and now we got to work together. And it would have been great and the stakes would have been high enough. Like, the Enterprise crashed, for God's sakes. Like, that's enough. Like, the Enterprise got trashed, man. That's bad. Like, that's bad enough, dude. Um, And it, like... Then it would have harkened back to the just best episodes or, or some of the best I episodes. I think there's a lot can different you imagine of different best
1: episodes. Can you imagine how yeah. good that movie would have been if it was like a, yeah. a, a, a an waste. idealistic Colonel Kurt situation where Idris Elba's yeah. there and he's fucking dangerous, but he's not beyond, like, he's salvageable. And, yeah. like, there's an element of, pissed. like, you gotta That's come home, not, Colonel.
0: He's not ruining the world. Yeah. It's just, he's had to be tough because things weren't great for him and it sucked. But, like, you know what? He can be part of the team, too, dude. Yeah. Like... <laughs> You know, I know I'm saying this as, as like, painting a rosy picture, but, like, that's a rosy picture kind of movie. So he really does not, I don't know, it it just feels so, it also wastes, can we just talk about this one trend of 2016 here, mm. or at least the last couple of years, of, like, wasting incredibly beautiful actors <laughs> under 10 cakes of makeup, and then they're not even a very good one. His film.
1: makeup was real bad.
0: Oh, oh. Like, that also happened with Oscar Isaacs this summer in X-Men. The X-Men movie that came out this I summer that I totally that one, liked, I that nobody assume. else liked. But yeah, I, I still liked it. I just thought it, it also kind of wasted him. And what was the other super recent one? Well, no, that didn't waste him. But Mads Mikkelsen was was under extreme glitter reptile makeup. But that I was okay with that because he still that? looks wonderful. And in Doctor Strange. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: And then, I mean, <laughs> okay. and then there was that time that... uh Benedict Cumberbatch uh, you yes. know, was an entire dragon. Um, yep. So there was that yeah. too.
0: That also counts in this. Like, it's but, it's fine. It's just like, why? If oh. yeah. they're not a good villain, if they're not going to be great, like, I don't I mean, going to want you to.
1: It's going to be really me. embarrassing in like 30 years when, like, you know, the retirement <laughs> and, like, you know, obituary, memoriam, retrospectives are happening and, like, all your <clears> best clips of some of the best actors of this generation are like dudes in fucking capes and, like, uh, like face paint and shit like that. It's going to be mortifying, right? It's, it's going like, to be like,
0: well, this is what we needed in our dark geopolitical time. We needed very un- unrealistic heroes <laughs> because there were no real heroes in 2016. Good.
1: Well, I mean, like, okay, so God, just to, just to keep going, this story going, like, the Winter Soldier... Yes. Was so close to being a great comic book interpretation of, like, 70s paranoid spy thrillers yeah. in some ways. Yes. And you had Robert Redford, like, totally committing to it um, as just this, um, like, fallen idealist, kind of oily, but, but also kind of relatable and someone you could easily want to believe in, uh, even if they were increasingly in, in, incredible uh, in yeah. some ways. And at the end, again, it's like, well, what's what's your end game here? Well, I'm part of Hydra, so we just want to kill everything. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what it turns into: is like, oh man, Hydra was inside SHIELD the entire time, and you know what Hydra is all about? It's ending mankind and enslaving it. And what I kind of loved was the real point of that entire plot twist, is that The fascism gets, you know what I mean? The the fascism gets inside organizations and institutions that are built to fight it, right? Like, that that organizations and institutions get corrupted uh, by using extreme methods and by adopting and internalizing uh, the beliefs of their foes. And that's kind of what, like, the the movie sort of faints in that direction and, and even sort of explicitly enunciates that. Uh, in places, but then at the end, you still have Robert Redford bleeding out and watching a fucking <laughs> helicarrier like blasting away above Washington and going, "Hail Hydra!" Like, god damn it!
0: <laughs> yeah, it's God. Why can't we just can't we just fucking put Trump in all these movies? Can't he just be the bad guy? Like, you know, we we have a cartoon villain here in 2016. God, it's, like, we might as well.
1: I guess one thing movies didn't like. Movies prepared me for fascism to adopt a subtle and seductive yeah. disguise. Uh, didn't expect it this way.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't exactly.
1: Didn't expect just some, just an ass, just a boorish asshole who's like, "Yo, I'm fascist. Vote for me!" And everyone's like, "Hey, I like that says what he thinks."
0: Yeah. Yep. No- nothing. Yeah. Nothing prepared me quite for that. Yeah. Like, why, like- why, couldn't we have Darth Vader? Yeah, at least Darth Vader looks cool, like you know. I was like, we had if we had to have a piece of shit fascist, like,
1: like V for Vendetta, like oh that's so cartoonish and and overdone. Oh, 2016 had things waiting for me.
0: Oh, it's life. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Totally agree, and this is. Part of this is why we need Star Trek as an aspirational happy universe well, where good things can happen occasionally.
1: <laughs> so this is this is getting a, a, little, a little far afield, but I do find it interesting how, like, revisiting different settings uh, and, yeah. and places becomes an opportunity to play out our collective fears and anxieties. Like, I find it really interesting that – and I know, like – Rogue One is not a reaction to 2016. The movie predates that by, by far. But I do believe that movies in a lot of times, a lot of times movies are weirdly in tune with like our collective subconscious, that like they don't yeah. really come from nowhere. And if events overtake them, a lot of times that's because like movies to some degree sensed something, um, something in the air. You know what I mean? And I find it interesting that Rogue One is kind of explicitly a movie about, like, a doomed resistance.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I definitely want to talk more about Rogue One. Uh, either e- – we can talk about it now, or I can talk about it in my, as my weekend projects. Let's
1: put a pin in this topic and yeah. get it in Weekend Correspondence. But I, I, I that do want to revisit idea. this whole, like, collective, uh, psych- like, subconscious psychodrama thing.
0: I think you're absolutely right. We're going to go back to this. Uh, we're going to go right to our mailbox – First, a word from our sponsor. Hey Rob, it's almost Christmas and I couldn't help but notice the stockings you hung by the chimney. It doesn't look like you did it with much care.
1: What are you talking about? I I hung those with the tenderest of care. Bob Cratchit didn't look after Tiny Tim half as well as I looked after my holiday hearth.
0: Rob, just, you know, look at the socks you put up there. Those look like old gym socks from a Kmart value pack. You really think Santa is gonna leave you presents in those pieces of trash?
1: Wait, Santa cares about stuff like that?
0: The guy in a bright red suit of crushed velvet with a fur fringe—you bet your ass, Santa cares about that kind of stuff. And when he comes down that chimney, he's gonna want to take—he's gonna take one look at those ratty pieces of garbage and decide it's the worst insult to the North Pole since the Franklin expedition. Oh
1: my God, how do I fix this, Danielle? It's Christmas is almost here.
0: It's all right. Don't panic. It's easy, Rob, because you can just go to getbombus.com weekend and get 20% off your first order of high-quality, stylish socks.
1: No way! D- do you think Santa will approve?
0: Hell yes he will. Who wouldn't approve of Bombus with their soft, long stable cotton, reinforced footbed, and honeycomb arch support? They're the kind of socks Santa would be proud to cram full of toys. Not only do they say you care about what Santa thinks, They show you care about your feet enough to take care of them.
1: So if I go to getbombus.com slash weekend, will Santa think I'm a good boy?
0: Rob, Santa won't just think you're a good boy, he'll know it. That's because for every pair of Bombas you buy, an additional pair is donated to a homeless shelter, where socks are one of the most requested items for donation.
1: (laughs) Then I'm definitely going to getbombus.com slash weekend to get 20% off my first order.
0: All right, everybody. What an ad. That was was a hell of an ad. Here we are in our weekend correspondence. We have Joseph writing in. Joseph writes, hi, research and development. Uh Double topic this time. Uh, First, on single transferable vote systems. Ireland, my home country, has that, along with multiple representatives per district. That means that very few voters, only the most fringe people, Do not have a representative they voted for. While that's good, don't get excited, as this can make for a radical and fluid government that is responsive to voters, uh, because Ireland has been ruled by the same two center-right parties for 80 years, with various small parties coming and going, neoliberals, labor, greens, radical left, and occasionally and thankfully short-lived fascists. Secondly, on trash satire. I am convinced that one of the best satires in games is Just Cause 2. While well, Harvester might explore the difference between player intent and character intent, Just Cause 2 does exactly the opposite. It pairs player intent and character intent. Rico isn't in Panao, I don't Panao. say P- Panao, let's call it Panao, not played it, but he's not in Panao for the time for the good of the Panaoan people or to defend democracy or even to really defend America. He's there to have a good time, and his mentor, Tom Sheldon, this is really explicit towards the end when a Regime Change for Dummies book appears and Sheldon R. talks about how great Pinow is for grilling. Uh, When playing this, I actually stopped at one point and wondered, wait, is Sheldon actually at, at all different from the neocon Hawks? Aren't they just doing that? All that invading Iraq stuff to feel awesome and powerful? Sure, it's not the most subtle message, but it actually delivered on it. Satire works because the game is lightweight trash. Sheldon is a comedic drunk Texan. Rico just loves blowing up pipelines and all that. Did either of you see this in Just Cause 2? Do you know there are games that do something similar? Joseph, thanks for reading so many of my emails. I didn't play Just Cause 2, so I I am heartened to see this, that like sometimes, I, and I do agree that like sometimes things that you're not expecting to, to stand at a podium and make a, a grand speech actually do end up being very very poignant and, and delivering very much on on sort of their messages. And it, like in in, to- in terms of tone, I feel like the the Fast and Furious series is almost the, the perfect example of this. Like they actually deliver these like very heartwarming messages about family in the context of these trash ass movies about like doing cool car heists and racing cool cars. And it's like, waha, well, this is awesome. But really, you gotta be real. You gotta be real to your family. You gotta <laughs> love those around you. Like, it, that's, that's the message, right? We've and, all had so, a lot of
1: fun here tonight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but really, hug your brother. You know, like, it's very, it's, I, I love that. And I love when trash has hidden, you know, the hidden trash can of clear, uh, clear rather, on, on the inside there. Beating, a strong heart beating with a trash can of clear.
1: That is a really gross trash can of Claire at this point. I yeah, know. I'm, no, a, little, I'm exactly. a little frightened of that trash can of Claire.
0: It's pretty nasty. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so I actually haven't played the Just Cause games either, but I do find that kind of interesting that that reading sort of comes out of that game that... In a game that's explicitly about, like, just laying waste to this island for shits and grins, uh, it's sort of explicitly making a point about, like, kind of the way great powers tend to interact with, um, you know, smaller countries... Yeah. uh where 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 they do end up just becoming sort of a um canvas for <laughs> for for the id of uh of, of whoever happens to be running things uh at, at the time uh in terms of other other games that that do stuff that, that sort of have a a hidden message uh like that um God, this is this is annoying me because I feel like there's a punch, but it's I like I'm I'm sort of racking my brain for for good examples. Um,
0: well, I feel like something even like Far Cry Blood Dragon almost kind of tried to do this a little bit. Yeah, with the awesome eighties blow people up, but there were definitely like little signs of like maybe you shouldn't. You know what does this? Doom,
1: hmm. <laughs> the most recent yes. Doom, kind of yes, does this. it does
0: by being so earnest. And so badass heavy metal, that it's like, yeah, but you know what, hell's bad, man. People are sick, and you shouldn't use your hell energy just to cure your your ailments.
1: Well, it's yeah, and and the satire is like, it's like yeah,
0: it's this moment, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you find all those like corporate documents and everything that are like, well, we're out of energy sources on Earth, so guess we just have to order this por- open this portal to hell, because uh, <laughs> man, like. You know we just gotta get that energy
0: that's right um and, and
1: that is that is kind of perfect actually,
0: <laughs> so yeah, sometimes man, sometimes it, that's when it gets you it's it's very much like a discussion we had recently about sometimes when things go really dark, they can also be way funnier than the comedy in like a, a straight up comedy or or when something's really funny, they can go straight up darker than something that's all dark it It has to do with that tone and like intelligent extreme tonal shifts to make a point so. Oh, it all fits in in the idle thumbs or sorry, idle weekend.
1: Yeah,
0: we're thumbs. It's
1: fine. All right. Our next email comes from John Rennish. Salutations, R and D. While listening to many podcast discussions that speak of the experience of playing scary horror games, my mental picture shifts to that of myself standing outside a party, looking longingly in from the window. I like that mental ability to be sucked into a game to be embraced. I lack that mental ability to be sucked into a game. to embrace it fully part of me can't shake the knowledge that it's not real and not actually at risk uh this isn't a humble brag about being a tough cookie it's an aspect of the gaming experience that i want to take part in but can't grasp what advice do you have for someone missing out on the thrill of being scared
0: oh god i don't know if that's something you can fake to be honest like it's it's Like, I'm a really earnest person, and I just, I get really excited about things, I get really scared, I get really sad, like, all my emotions are sort of turned up to to 11, so I'm able to enjoy, quote-unquote, every kind of of super intense emotional experience, and not even worry about sort of the suspension of disbelief, because I can suspend disbelief all day, any day, I'm a, you know, I still, I still wish I could grow up to be a Starfleet captain, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I am obviously a, a reasonable adult and I know that we don't live in that universe. It's okay. I can, you know, tell fiction and reality. It's just, you know, I, I don't I don't mind suspending it. So I feel like that's actually like a you yeah, know, it's kind of a, a personal thing, the way you're tuned. Like like some people just aren't bothered by certain kinds of things or certain kinds of entertainment. I guess my only my only advice would be to seek out something that actual, like, serious horror buffs actually find really disturbing. Like, somebody who is somewhat desensitized to horror tropes might still be like, all right, I get that. Like, I, you know, I get that you have a, a difficulty with suspending disbelief, but here's something that's that's pretty rough and, and 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 pretty intense and somewhat realistic, even, or or if not realistic, like, emotionally, you know, sort of honest. I, I feel like something like uh, the Babadook is not necessarily something that will just scare you on its face as as a creepy guy but as a as a metaphor for child abuse like i i would find it difficult not to be disturbed by by some of the stuff that sort of happens in that movie uh so yeah i'd go for i'd go for what horror buffs are actually scared of and what they actually find disturbing
1: yeah john also notes that there's some uh that he he tends to pick up on the cues and, and, and sort sure. of see the way a level works as he as he's playing a game and I guess uh something that I sort of learned uh by hanging out with like people who make games and like sometimes doing couch co-op with people who like used to work in shooter studios and stuff what's interesting is that like hanging out with a level designer is in some ways the worst thing because <laughs> they will just be they, they will just be unconsciously like unpacking the entire level as you're playing it like they will you know they'll be commenting on the way it's constructed and like, oh, that's really cleverly done, like oh, uh, see the way that that spotlighting on that door uh there like captures your gaze first and then and that you know delays the 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 moment you notice that this other thing is there uh so there's all the all this stuff that they pick up on, um yeah, and yet they still really really enjoy these games and it may it may be a different enjoyment like to a degree um to a degree, the experience of like being legit, like scared out of your mind, playing a game like like I am when I'm playing Amnesia, maybe that is beyond you. Like that, you know, you may not just be able to suspend your disbelief uh, sufficiently to do that. On the other hand, you can still really appreciate um, the craft, right? Like yeah. you can still you can see how it's working, but you can still appreciate the aesthetic effect, the way you know it captures you by it catches you by surprise at moments, um, the way certain authored moments are allowed to play out despite, like, you know, not without resorting to heavy scripting, stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can appreciate places where you are sort of involuntarily turned into uh, a player on a stage. Uh, That's really cool. Uh, So I I don't think, like, for me, it's not important that I be, like, terrified during a lot of, like, scary games. I just kind of want to get into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's very much like, you know... Once you take a bunch of film classes, you never look at movies the same way. But you certainly, at least most people, I think, still really appreciate them and, and really appreciate that craft, just like you're saying. So yeah, yeah, you can you can do it, my friend. You can still enjoy horror. Alrighty, we have an email from Seb. Seb writes, "Hello R and D. Part of the reason I think I fell in love with Alien: Isolation. Oh, editors, note. Hey, look at this. This is topical." <clears throat> back to the email, uh, was that it felt like you were fully inhabiting a person in a specific place in a specific and fleshed out world. You also had all the frailties that you might expect a person to have when faced up against an alien that can kill in an instant and hear your footsteps location with pinpoint precision from 20 meters away. Androids with superhuman strength, and scared human groups just fighting to survive uh, that shoot at anything that moves. Recently however, I've been thinking about another game I fell in love with in the Alien franchise. Alien versus Predator. Mm -hmm. No, not the new one. The classic 2000 version. That had you being able to play through three separate campaigns. Marine, Alien, and Predator. Whilst the the Marine and Predator campaigns were enjoyable and evoked by uh, very different feelings, the real triumph lay in how well the Alien campaign encouraged you to fully inhabit the Alien by mechanics and moveset alone. For example... You were very squishy, so you had to move fast and approach from different angles. You could destroy humans quickly, uh, but you could also heal yourself by biting the head off live prey, meaning it uh, it was better to take your time and whittle them down instead of just going for the easy kill. And Humans in groups posed a significant problem due to their numbers advantage, so it was easier to pick them off one at a time instead of trying to kill them all at once. Unfortunately, I can't think of many other games that truly make you feel like you're inhabiting a life form other than ourselves. You have any examples of this uh, done well in the recent past and you think there's much scope or desire for it in the future I personally find it refreshing to be able to play as a completely alien life form that isn't just shaded blue and functionally indistinct from a human adapting uh based on their biology or even something more mundane like a lion or a bird of prey thanks and keep up the good work podcast something i look forward to every weekend seb if you think of a couple of of examples and and some of them are well, there, there's certainly, like, Tokyo Jungle, where you played as a Pomeranian and, uh, God, what other animals. And and you, you had to kind of pay very close attention to different kinds of pack animals and definitely behave like the kind of animal you were and, oh, and survive. Right. And, then, and then breed and then all this other kind of weird, bizarre stuff. Uh, there's a game called Cubivore that was on the GameCube that was very... <laughs> You were sort of a predator, but you were also a box, and you had to eat other animals. Like, there's there's a few kind of bizarre, weirdo examples that I, I'm thinking of, like, that came immediately to mind. I feel like there's also something that actually pretty accurately depicts what it's like to be an invading virus, but I'm not thinking of the name very well right now. Uh, I, I'm, but you're right, Seb, it's not, like, the most frequent uh type of <laughs> type of gameplay, right? It's not usually like the player experience goal isn't always or isn't even usually make the player feel like an alien who thinks differently. Um I guess maybe something like flower? Mm. Uh cuz you're you're technically the wind, but it's it's very much like it's making you feel like a, a a creature with a very different sort of sense of locomotion and and a very different sense of you know, uh, the world they inhabit, like, the actual sort of mechanics of moving around felt very different from even humans in flight, basically. Uh You know, like, when typically when you're playing something that you're flying, you're a human flying that machine. Or, yeah. Yeah, so... This would be my go-to. Is I feel I, it's going to drive me crazy. I feel like there's seriously a game that's like about being a virus and spreading around a body. Not like uh, a, a
1: body, it. not so not like Play incorporated type thing.
0: I mean that. You know what? That even. I mean, that gets at the idea. It gets at the same general idea. Like you're there's something like an alien, almost like an alien intelligence. It's not, it's not actually an alien intelligence, but it's almost like that. It almost functions in the same way.
1: Yeah, I mean. So, like, Alien vs. Predator, uh, the 2000 edition, is a very special game, uh, and it is so, we didn't know it at the time, but it was, like, so end-of-the-era PC FPS. Like, my friends and I went back and played it a few years ago. We had a multiplayer night, and I found the Alien almost unplayable. Like, it is oh, so freaking fast. Did you play this, Danielle?
0: No, I played the 2009 version of that game that wasn't bad, but wasn't. You know, the this, this sort of seminal classic that I think everybody is always talking about.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those games where, like, you just touch W or something, your character just goes rocketing forward. Like, the Marines move that way, too, though. It's not just the alien. Like, everything is just, like, everything is on, like, ice skates. Everything just, like, okay. moves super fast. Uh, every, every encounter just happens, like, in a split second. Uh, the the level design and lighting is really really cool. It, it's genuinely creepy when the motion detector starts going off and you hear the aliens, uh, you know, sort of pouring swarming down a hall. Uh, yeah. But it is just so cool to play a game where like, oh, there are no concessions made to people with game pads. Like they, that never yep. crossed anyone's <laughs> mind. Like there aren't going to be anybody <laughs> playing this on game pads. So it's all just like. Super fast paced. Uh, you play multiplayer in that version, and like those alien marine encounters are like over in the blink of an eye. Like you, you, you know, you come swar- like swarming out of the ceiling, and they see you at the last second. And you, there's you know, like a split second of gunfire and claws, and then someone's alive, someone's dead. Um, it's really really cool. I think Left 4 Dead does a little bit of that with the versus mode, but there it's not like you're a life form. Uh, you know, you're you're basically playing the infected. Uh, as like little mobile weapons. Uh so it's it's not quite it's not quite the same thing. Sure. Um I think RTS design can do something interesting and similar in some ways. Like I genuinely find it pretty cool that like the Zerg in StarCraft 2 um tend to function best when y- you are sort of playing like a swarm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that yeah. when you're really taking advantage of the fact that like you know, you can always just queue up more units in a heartbeat because they're not being produced out of factories. They're just being hashed from eggs. Um, similarly, like, Grey Goo uh, with, the, with, the, with the goo, the nano nanomachines uh, that you could, that faction that you could control, uh, also did something similar where, like, you don't have a base. Um, you really break a lot of the rules of the other races. And so that requires kind of a shift in the way you sort of interact with the map. Um, so yeah, you see a little bit of that in RTS design, but yeah, truly feeling like a different different creature, that's that seems pretty rare. Yeah. Uh should we move on to our weekend projects?
0: Yeah, I think we should. We've got a lot of great letters here, but I think I think we got some stuff to talk about in our weekend projects. So here we are. The weekend again. Rob, is there something lighting your life on fire this week?
1: Uh yeah. So I just watched um I just watched Monsters by Gareth Edward, uh, which is uh, you know the same director as Rogue One, because uh, I, I kind of want to get in the mood and see what else this director has done. And Monsters is really interesting. Um, it's, okay, what's the, what's the way to put this? Um, it's like It Happened One Night meets Cloverfield.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, it, is, it yeah. is
1: a road trip romantic comedy or road trip romance set against a a backdrop of like an almost found footage monster movie. Awesome. Uh, But what's, what's interesting though, is it's also a lot like a really long uh, sci-fi episode of like no reservations or parts unknown or something like the interesting thing is the movies about these two American characters who begin in Latin America um, sort of cut off from the United States by this like monster invasion. And they've just got to get North to the U S border. Uh, and it's about it, it's really about them sort of journeying across like rural Mexico uh, toward toward the north, and uh, you know sort of the movie is not subtle in its in its politics and the way it's sort of recreating <laughs> uh, they're sort of living the experience of um, of living under the shadow of like the drug war, for instance, of yeah. of trying to uh, emigrate to the United States, um, but. It's just really, really cool because uh, it's, it's a really effective movie because, like, there aren't big monster battles. Um, it, for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty quiet um, road trip movie in a lot of ways. But there's this imminent and persistent threat of monsters and violence and how characters have just sort of adapted to this as their reality uh, is, is the other interesting aspect of this. So it's a really cool movie um, with, some, with some really startling imagery and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just a really cool twist on sort of the monster flick.
0: Okay, that sounds rad. Adding it to my ever-present uh, long and sad list of things I need to see. And I, this weekend, as we had sort of discussed previously, my pick is Rogue One, Star, a Star Wars story. That's the official name. It's a Star Wars movie. You know about it because you're listening to this podcast. But in case you don't, it is a one-off Star Wars movie. It's sort of the first one-off Star Wars movie that is not part of the sort of, uh, you know, part of a trilogy or part of a whatever they're calling sort of the the new continuity. It's certainly part of the continuity, but it's not, uh, you know, a specific, uh, you know, giant chunk of the story. It's a side story. And it is about the mission, uh, primarily about the mission uh that's referenced in the in the original series about uh stealing the death star plans and finding that sort of uh the weakness in the death star to finally make the first real blow that the rebel the rebel alliance is able to make against the empire so uh and it is I loved it. I, I think it has some some serious flaws. It has some issues. I'm going to I'm not going to spoil spoil anything but if you're worried uh slight spoilers I think the weakest part of the movie uh by far is that they actually use these facial scanned characters. They the Grand Moff Tarkin is the a facial scanned CGI character uh of the original actor. And I, I apologize. I I can't recall. Peter his Cushing, name, but I think. Peter Cushing, of course it's Peter Cushing, yes. Uh and it just I mean, it looks good, like it would look good in a video game. Let's put it that way. It would uh. look very nice. It would look very but nice in video game. But it stands right the fuck out, especially on a movie that's beautiful and like very, very well shot. Like darker than most Star Wars movies, but like really gorgeous. And it really gets at the grime and grittiness of Star Wars, and it really shows Star Wars as a war movie. This is the very first Star Wars movie that feels like an actual war movie. It feels like a dirty yeah, dozen. It pisses me like off a, so
1: much. All the people yeah. clowning on that box headline that was like, "This is the first Star Wars movie that like it's pays attention real. to war." And it's like, yeah. Like uh, that, that, the entire reaction pissed me off, right? Because it's like everyone is in such a rush to be like smug and snarky that they like have to willfully blind themselves to the very real point that the headline is making. Like that pissed me yeah. off to no end. Because because yeah, it's it's like read the goddamn article. Like, are you really this like people making that joke were basically like advertising that they they're they're not so good. They're not as good with nuance as they think.
0: Yeah, for sure. 'Cause it's it's genuinely very that's an accurate headline and an accurate piece. Like it genuinely is that way. And like it it doesn't go it's it's not nearly as in depth as you know, a Zero Dark Thirty or something like that, certainly. But it does actually get a little bit into the nuance of like how fucking hard it is to run a coalition of different kinds of people. And they all want to splinter off and they all have slightly different reasons for hating the empire and wanting to fight the empire. And different people want to do it in a different way. And it's hard as all holy hell to not be a fascist when fascism seems like such a basically easy conclusion of like, let's get shit done. The universe is big. There's a lot of different people. There's a lot of diversity. Let's just fucking crush it. That seems like, a, a you know, the tempting and easy path. It, it, it doesn't paint. It's obviously the, the Empire is evil. Of course, it's evil. And the Rebel Alliance is, you know, presented in a good light. But it, it does actually genuinely uh, go after those subtleties a little bit of, of you know, there's a speech uh, by, by sort of uh, Diego Luna, the, the sort of uh, male lead in the movie. And he kind, he's kind of like, I've done some really shitty things <laughs> for the Rebel Alliance. Like, I've done a lot of terrible shit. Uh, And it would be all for nothing if we weren't willing to fight. And we weren't willing to fight dirty sometimes. And it's like, fucking right, man. Like, yes, thank you for acknowledging some of this stuff. And and you watch the earlier movies, and they're certainly doing bad shit. They're killing endless numbers of people, even if they're stormtroopers or whatever. Like, still killing dudes, man. Like, it's, (laughs) you know, it's not as if the Force automatically let you put your phaser on stun. Like, that's not how it works here. Uh, So I found that very satisfying. Yeah, I really liked the characters. I loved the cast of characters. Uh, my girlfriend had kind of different of a different take on it. And I think her take is absolutely valid. I, she was a little bit disappointed, I think, by certain elements of the movie. Um, and, and and this is like, I, I, okay, if, if you know that it's basically a, a movie about a suicide mission, you're not going to be surprised that a lot of people die in this movie. And while I was like super, super excited I loved these characters, I thought they were great. They're, they're definitely kind of archetype characters, but they're awesome and they, they, feel, they feel sort of lived in uh, as roles. But it is definitely true that there are a lot of people of color and they're super rad. And you could read some of the actions of the movie as being kind of Orientalist and also, hey, look at these great people of color, these great characters who are people of color. Um, a lot of them get blown up. <laughs> like, like, there's, I think that's. Oh, you run, absolutely you run valid. into like the
1: black guy always dies problem of like.
0: Yes. Like post World yes. War II,
1: like war movies. Yeah.
0: Yes, it's yeah. definitely, and and I and I. Like, Thanks yeah. for your help.
1: idealized minority, no problem. <laughs> right. Let me lay my life down <laughs> nobly for you, white white right. protagonist.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not even like it, it's not. I, I personally didn't find it nearly as gross as those kinds of movies because I, I, what I think, based on what's going on in The Force Awakens and sort of the new Star Wars movies that like, yeah, we're gonna have, it's just gonna be a more diverse world. There's gonna be a yeah. lot of heroes of color and there's gonna be a, villains of color, like everybody's gonna just be a little bit more, there's gonna be more diversity in this cast. But the unfortunate side effect of that is that we don't live in an equal world where you know when a whole bunch of people of color get blown up it's not like oh well you know the white people get blown up too it's it's there's still a massive inequality there and I like really appreciate that and wanted to to note that I think that's a very valid thing uh a, val- a valid you know thing to say about this movie yeah. uh, but I did personally love it I I thought it was like a fucking awesome actiony Star Wars movie that actually had a little bit more to say than any other Star Wars movie ever has Uh, so I I dug it I think the writing is pretty uneven to be honest but uh,
1: yeah well you
0: know there's a lot of exposition there is a lot of heavy ass exposition of like oh but you raised me and now now I'm sad and you know there's a whole lot of of rushed text heavy scenes in between sort of action that feels a little lame yeah like y'all you could have you could have shown, not told here, like wow. for sure. Uh, so it is a little heavy in that regard. Like it's a little heavier than it needs to be. There's definitely some some fat that could have been trimmed a little bit or finessed a little bit. Uh, so, so yeah, my take is I absolutely loved it, but I do think it has it has some it has some issues. You know, there's yeah. there's a little bit of issue there.
1: Um, right, well, I'm super excited to see it. Uh I like I am kind of interested to see whether or not it feels like sort of old war movies where like minority characters are getting mowed down uh in part to like um ennoble them. Uh or if it just feels like this is a movie where like look, most people aren't making it out of this alive. And uh that's just the way this, this movie's gonna break down and it's that's more diverse. It cast. Like, so I'm curious how that's gonna play. Yeah. I'm curious how that's gonna play out. Um because yeah, there was definitely like having watched a bunch of old war movies. Like you pretty much yeah. always knew that the cool black guy in the squad was yeah. never gonna make it. Yeah. Um, and if there was That's a sort of racist character cool. yeah. in the squad, there was a good bet the black guy would end up saving or befriending or sacrificing himself for that dude. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that can be um, that can, that can be a little frustrating. Uh, I do love that this movie. Sounds like it digs into the politics of of rebellion and and rebel it does. movements. Um, Danielle, you so badly need to see the Wind That Shakes the Barley. I swear to God.
0: I do. I clearly do. Because
1: there is, there are two moments um, in that movie that are so much about what the radicalization of otherwise good and moderate people uh, because yeah. of the fact that like they've been forced to go to, to break all their um uh, boundaries. You know what I mean? They've they've for, they've been yeah. forced to become like violent killers. Uh, And and the wind that shakes the barley is is entirely about that tension of you people made me do all these things because you said we were pursuing these certain ends and I have done unspeakable things to bring that, bring that future about. And now you're telling me that we have to moderate and compromise and throttle back. And if I known we were going to do that, maybe I wouldn't have done this in the first place. Yeah, that's, 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 you get, like, it's, it's a really good movie. Uh, it'll crush you, uh, but. Good. Um, it
0: should. It sounds like it should.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it totally will. Uh, speaking yeah. of Killian Murphy, um, God, I'm yeah. so excited for the Christopher Nolan Dunkirk movie.
0: Oh, me do, um, me do, me do. Yes. Like, I
1: am so all in on a Christopher Nolan uh, war epic about, yeah. about an evacuation. But this is sort of what I mean about, like, the weird uh, timing of a lot of these movies. Right, like yeah. there's a flurry of Killian um, Murphy's in another movie about the assassination of Heydrich um, in yeah. in uh, I think I want to say it was Czechoslovakia uh, during World War World War II, and the Nazi reprisals that basically like slaughtered uh, thousands of people uh, trying to find the assassins. Uh, you got Dunkirk, which is explicitly about an army that's that's lost to fascism. The the, the fascist one, won. You're the only thing you can do now is try to get out alive. And what does that mean? Uh, I find it interesting that like there are all these stories being told that are not these triumphalist, you know. Yeah, we kick the you know we kick the Nazis' ass. We kill fascism. It's, you're seeing a lot more movies that are more about like what does it mean to resist seemingly irresistible fascism.
0: Yeah. God. I. I need all of that right now because just even yeah. the amount of reading I've been doing about politics, I'm just like, you know what? I need the dirtiest, grittiest, most real stuff that's going to make me want to keep fighting, even yeah. if it's awful. Like, that's, that's what I need right now. That's my medicine. Uh, yeah. Also, go see Rogue One.
1: Yeah, have, I am, to I am totally going to go yeah, see it this it. week.
0: I, I actually I did the the really goofy thing where I lined up uh, at the premiere. Oh, that's... I was in Union Square. It was like ten degrees. Always kind <laughs> of fun. Winch.
1: Also kind of always kind of dumb. Yeah. Oh
0: God, yes. Uh, it was very it was very cold the other night on Thursday night, and uh, I actually went to my Vice holiday party, which was at a venue that looked exactly like a Dishonored two level, and then and then I was like, all right, I'm going to see Star Wars. So it was it was you know. It was, <laughs> It was a waste. No, I'm just imagining the Vice
1: Holiday Party. Someone being telling Danielle, like, Danielle, instead of killing Austin, give him to me. I will take him (laughs) to my island and you don't have to kill him. He'll just belong (laughs) to me.
0: That's basically what happened. I don't know how you found out about it.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen him in a few days. So, (laughs) like, it's possible.
0: He's on an island right now. That's where he is. That's, you know, I'm your biggest uh, fan, Austin. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Dr. Hypatia is uh, hanging out. Uh, with Austin right now. It's good. It's good. They're having a good time. Oh, and I think on that note, it's time for us to hang out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly. It's hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network.
1: You can learn more about Idle Weekend at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend.
0: And we always want to thank you for sending in letters and interacting with us and sending us things to talk about and think about and read about. It helps us so much. Uh, and we really appreciate it when you go ahead and, and tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell somebody you've never met before, tell a stranger on a bus. It, you know, whoever you think might enjoy Idle Weekend, if you tell them about us, it helps us so much. If you have a moment to rate us on iTunes, that also helps us so, so much. And we, we always appreciate it. And we thank you very much for your time and your earbuds. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends.